0: Well, thank you to all those who gave their lives for our country, and what a true blessing it is to enjoy the freedom that they fought for and enjoy the freedom that we have to worship our God here. So thank you for all those who gave their lives for our country. And so as Pastor Bob said before, my name is Noah Graves, and if I haven't gotten the chance to meet you, I'm the executive assistant to the pastoral leadership team here at NBC, and it's just been such a great joy to be on staff and getting to serve you all each week. And so, if you haven't been with us this spring, we have been going through the book of Philippians, and so we've been looking each week through uh, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And so, this week we come up to chapter 3, and so we'll be taking a look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. And so, as I was preparing for uh, this text and this message, uh, something that I was given a lot of thought to is something that I've had a unexpected love for, for the past year, and that is for Formula One racing. And so if you have absolutely no idea what Formula One is, it is a high-speed motor rating competition that takes place all across the world. They have the fastest cars in the world, the best drivers in the world, um, and it's just a thrill to watch. And uh, the thing that drew me into Formula One is a Netflix uh, documentary show called Formula One Drive to Survive. And so this show, you get to see behind the scenes, see what goes on, you know, with all the drivers, the staff, and all that. Uh, And the reason that it's called Drive to Survive is because there are only 20 Formula One drivers in the world, the top 20 drivers on the planet. And so if they don't perform, if they don't do certain things as a driver, and if they're not performing, then they lose their seats, they're gone, they're out, someone else is in. And so it's it's very, it's kind of like a hot seat kind of a thing. And so their seat is completely contingent upon them performing and them doing certain things as drivers. And so the question that I want all of us to ask today is, is that how our seat as a Christian works? Where if we don't perform as a Christian, and if we don't do certain things as a Christian, that our seat might be gone. We might lose our seat as a Christian. Well, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul talks about today in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. So starting in verse 1, it says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So the first thing that I want all of us to see here is to take a closer look at verse two, where Paul says this look at look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So when I first read that, I'm kind of thinking, Whoa, Paul, I mean, come on, that's a little harsh, huh? I mean, you're calling them dogs, evildoers, like why using such strong terms and words here? Prior to this, it was all about joy and talking about Jesus, talking about all these great pictures of godliness, godliness, and now he's talking about these evildoers and these dogs. Like, whoa, what's going on here? Well, if you look at the historical context, you'd learn that these dogs and evildoers Paul was referring to were called this group of people that were called the Judaizers. Now, these Judaizers were going around and they were saying that, hey, yes, faith in Jesus, yes, But you also have to do other things. You also have to be circumcised. You also have to adhere to the Old Testament law. And so in short, the Judaizers were saying, faith in Jesus, that's not enough. You also have to do certain things in order to keep your seat as a Christian. So do you see what the Judaizers were really doing? Do you see what they were doing? They were adding to the gospel. The gospel that says you are saved by grace through faith. The Judaizers said, yeah, yeah. Faith is good, but you also have to do other things. The Judaizers looked up at Jesus Christ on the cross and said, Hey, that's, that's pretty good. You've got you to believe in that. But you also got to get circumcised. you also have to do these other things. Jesus is not enough. That's what the Judaizers were saying. So what is Paul's response to this? What does Paul say in response to this group of people that were saying, Hey, we have to do certain things in order to maintain our Christian status. This is what Paul says in verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So notice how Paul says here the circumcision. Now, the circumcision was the true people of God. If you were considered the circumcision, you were of God's people. And the Judaizers were saying, hey, if you want to be of God's people, yeah, you got to believe in Jesus, but you also have to get circumcised and do all these things that the Old Testament law says. But Paul says, no. He says, no. He says, the true people of God, the circumcision, they put no confidence in the flesh. The true people of God put all their confidence in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus is enough. Christians put no confidence in the flesh. Because if anyone could put confidence in their flesh, if anyone had any Bit of a reason to put confidence in their flesh, it was the Apostle Paul. That's why Paul gives us his religious resume in verses four to six, where he says this Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless. Paul had every reason to have confidence in his flesh. Of his day, he would have been considered to be a religious elite. That resume right there, if anyone saw that, they would have been like, whoa, that guy is absolutely devout. He's a hot shot religious person, huh? Because all these extra things, all these things that the Judaizers were saying that you need to do to really be a Christian, all these things you need to do to keep your seat as a Christian, Paul already did them. Not only did he do them, but he did them better than anyone else. Yet, what is Paul's attitude towards all those extra things that his resume has? Well, let's see what verses 7 to 9 say. "'But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord.'" For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. All those extra things, that amazing track record of religious accomplishments, Paul counts it as a loss. Paul's not boasting in it saying, hey, look at, look at, all, look at all the stuff I've done. You think you're a Christian? Look what I've done. I'm a real Christian. No. Paul counts it as a loss. But why? What's the reasoning behind this? What what, what causes him to consider it a loss? What's the reasoning for that? So take another look at verses 7 to 8, which says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. Do you see why Paul counts it all as loss? For the sake of Christ. Because after everything that Jesus went through, after Jesus humbled himself to coming down here on earth and humbled himself to the point of death, to be willing to suffer, to die, to be buried, to rise again, everything Jesus went through for our righteousness and our salvation… How dare anyone say that's not enough? So that's the reason that Paul counts all of his accomplishments as loss, for the sake of Christ. Because of everything Jesus went through, there is nothing more to add. There's nothing more to add to what Jesus has done. So church, how often do we need to be reminded of this in our own Christian lives? And also be reminded of what follows in verse 9, which says this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. I think so many of us, myself included, need to be reminded of this. That our righteousness does not come from the law. As Paul says in not, at verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Is anyone guilty of maybe forgetting this? i know i am maybe being a little bit legalistic in our christian lives well yeah sure maybe it wasn't like the judaizers with the whole jewish law and circumcision and all that but are many of us guilty of being legalistic with our christian law where we're legalistic and judgmental towards others Where maybe we see someone who doesn't go to church every sunday and we think are they really a christian or maybe it's someone that doesn't read their bible every day or someone who doesn't listen to sermons every day, or someone who doesn't listen to worship music in the car, we see that and we think, are they really a Christian? Or maybe it's being legalistic and wanting to point to yourself, where you say, hey, I go to church every Sunday. Because of that, I'm a Christian. Hey, I read devotionals every day. I pray every day. I attend small group every week. Because I do all of that, that's what makes me a Christian. Would anyone admit to being guilty of that? I know I'm guilty of some of that. So we must, we must remind ourselves of what verse 3 says. Verse 3, which says this, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We must remember that we put no confidence in our religious accomplishments. And we put all of our confidence in Jesus Christ. We put all of our hope in Jesus Christ. And we put none of our confidence in our own accomplishments. So we must put off that old legalistic self that wants to to judge others and to point to ourselves and all that we are doing. Because when you stand before God on that day, on that final day of judgment, what do you want to point to? You want to point to what you've done and say, hey, I went to church every Sunday for 50 years. I attended 10 small groups. I read every book by John Piper." I listen to like a million sermons. You want to point to that? Or you want to point to Jesus. When you come before God, you want to say, there is no reason that you should let me in except for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you point to him and say, the only reason that you should let me into heaven is because of Jesus, because of his death, his resurrection, his righteousness. Now, I want to be very careful here. I want to be very careful because I don't want us to think that I'm saying that these things are bad. I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying going to church is bad or reading devotionals are bad or going to a small group is bad. But there is this tension. There is this tension between the truth that our righteousness comes through faith, but then there's also this law. There's this Christian law that we should be obeying. So what do we do with that? What do we do with this law? Well, Paul talks about this same same thing in verse. Uh, I'm sorry, in uh, Romans chapter nine, verses thirty-one to thirty-two, where he says this. But that Israel, who, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. So, do you see what the problem was? You see what the problem was with Israel? It wasn't that they were pursuing the law. It was that they were pursuing the law as if it were a matter of works. They were trying to build up their own righteousness. They were trying to build up their own religious resume. That was the problem. But the text says that they pursued it by faith and that they did not reach that law. They did not, I'm sorry, they did not pursue the law by faith and that they did not reach the law. So how do we pursue the law? How do we pursue our Christian law? We don't pursue it by works. We pursue it by faith. So are we going to go to church? Yes. But we're going to go to church by faith. Are we going to attend our small group? Yes, but by faith. We're going to read our Bible by faith. We're going to listen to worship music by faith. Every single thing that we do in our Christian lives, we do by faith. Faith that Jesus Christ is enough Faith that the righteousness through Jesus is sufficient and there's no more that we need to add. Jesus Christ is enough. But maybe you're here today and legalism isn't your struggle. Maybe legalism isn't the the battle that you're fighting in your Christian life. Maybe you're here today and the thing that you're struggling with in your Christian life is this burden. This burden that weighs down your soul. This weight that is heavy on your heart that you look at that Christian law and you see that you're not living up to it. You see that you are not reading your Bible enough, that you're not doing enough as a Christian. I'm here to tell you today that God does not want you to carry that burden. God does not want you to live each and every single day feeling like you're not doing enough and that you're not enough as a Christian. Hear the word of God from Matthew 11:28, where Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. That's what Jesus says. That burden that's on your heart, that weight that you carry every day, that is not your burden, that is not your weight to carry. Hear the invitation from Jesus himself to go to him. He says, come to me, and I will give you rest. That burden, God wants you to bring it to him. Let me plead with you to run to Jesus with that burden that's heavy on your soul, and he will give you rest. And remember the most amazing truth from Philippians 3.9, which says this, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Your righteousness as a Christian, your seat as a Christian, comes through faith. It's not dependent on your performance. It's not dependent on all the things that you do, but it is dependent on Jesus Christ. Your righteousness comes through faith. But before, before Paul says all of this, before he talks about righteousness, before he talks about circumcision, these Judaizers, counting things as a loss. He reminds us of something. He reminds us of something in Philippians 3 1. And this is what he says. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Notice he says to rejoice, but to rejoice in the Lord. He didn't say rejoice in your spiritual performance. Rejoice in that you're doing all these fantastic things as a Christian and you're building up your resume. No, he says to rejoice in the Lord. He says rejoice in the Lord. and Why? Why does he say to rejoice in the Lord? Because what happens if you're not performing as a Christian? What happens if you get sick and you can't make it to church on a Sunday? What happens if you get a new job and you can't make it to your small group every week? What happens if you have a baby and you don't have time to read your Bible every day? Does that mean that your joy is gone? Does that mean you can't have joy for not doing all these things? No. Because your joy, your joy is found in the Lord. Your joy is found in Jesus Christ. The glorious truth that there is a God out there. A God that wants you to have joy. A God that has made himself known to you. A God that has made himself known to you through Jesus Christ. In Him, you have your joy. Jesus is where our joy is found. Not only does God want you to have joy, but He also wants you to know Him. He wants you to know Him. Verses 10 to 11 say this, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of from the dead. So church, may this be the cry of our hearts. May the cry of our hearts be to know our God more, to rest in the love that He has for us, to trust that He is enough, to put all of our hope in Jesus Christ, to not point to ourselves and all of our religious accomplishments, but to point to Jesus and to say, that, that is my righteousness. He is my, he is my God. He has made Himself known to us. Our joy is in the Lord, and our Lord has made himself known to us. May we rest in that amazing truth. Because if you do that, if you will rest in Jesus Christ, if you will rejoice in Jesus Christ, you will find everlasting joy. Because no one, no one can take your joy away from you. No one can take your seat as a Christian away from you. Why? Because your seat has been given to you by God Himself through Jesus Christ. Because your seat as a Christian comes by grace, through faith, in Jesus. And so as we close today, I would like to invite the worship team up for one final song. And as the worship team is coming up, um, I know many of us probably heard Uh, the the very sad news from about a week ago that Tim Keller passed away. And I'm sure this is very hard news for all of us, and I know even for me personally, his preaching just had such a strong impact on my life, and I'm sure many of us here today uh, definitely got to experience a lot of his writings and sermons and just what a fruitful life that God uh, produced through him. And the words that he shared before he passed away just left such a strong impact on me, and they were just very, very powerful. And this is what Tim Keller said. I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Tim wanted to know Jesus. Tim wanted to see Jesus. Church, may that be our desire. May the desire of our hearts be to know our God more. And with Tim to say, I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for all that you've given us in your son, Jesus. God, I pray that all of us here today may rest in your love, and that we may find our ultimate joy in you. Father, I pray that the desire of all of our hearts may be to know you more. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace, and we praise you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.